Hello, and welcome to Maidens of the Spear, where we talk about the Wheel of Time, and we have a really good time. And Mary Lou, today we're doing something a little different. I'm excited. Today we're doing a little live video essay, and uh, today I'm going to tell you about Trand Althor, Queer Demigod, a.k.a. why I think Randall Thor is just an extremely potent and beautiful trans allegory. Randall Thor, queer demigod. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, and so I know there's going to be like one question that most people are going to have when they hear the topic of this video. And so I'm going to address it. Part one of this video. Uh, let me let me say it so we can get a cool YouTube title card. Mm-hmm. Part one. Am I serious? So, Mary Lou, am I being serious? And the oh God, answer, Sarah, are you being serious right now? Am I being serious right now? The answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, so, on the one hand, I'm a hundred percent serious. Yeah. I do believe Randall Thor is a beautiful and potent and like surprisingly um, deep trans allegory i think there's a lot to get into with why randall thor is meaningful to me as a trans person a trans woman specifically and why um i mean i've been reading this series since i was 14 since before i knew i was a trans or had any understanding of what that even meant and rand's story has always resonated with me specifically and um I want to explore why I think that is through basically through the lens of my own transness and my queerness and why I think a lot of queer people resonate with Randall Thor, um, even though he's not an explicitly queer character in the books. Mm -hmm. And that gets me to the, the why I'm, am I serious? Also kind of no, insofar as um, obviously I don't think Robert Jordan intended Rand to be a trans allegory, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't think Robert Jordan had any of that in mind. I do think Robert Jordan set out to write a coming of age story mm -hmm. about a young, a young man, a young teen um, coming to understand themselves, how they relate with the world, how they relate with the expectations the world has thrust upon them. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time was exploring themes of like gender interactions between men and women, yes. which just happened to also be very like fertile ground for him to create a beautiful trans allegory unintentionally. Totally. Um, so it's not like the matrix trans allegory. The matrix where... is actively an intentional trans allegory by the Wachowski Absolutely, sisters. Absolutely. By the Wachowski sisters that like 100% always was always will be right. an intentional trans allegory. Twitter. Right. This, yeah, but I mean, death of the author and stuff. Exactly. Uh, this is going full in on death of the author. This is not a video essay about what Randall Thor actually is. This is not a hot take of like, ooh, you missed that Randall Thor was a trans allegory. No, because like he wasn't meant to be. And, um, but also he is, but also he is. He works perfectly. Or I'm excited to find out. Yeah. So, Why? uh, I'm getting some echo from you now, Mary Lou. Uh oh. Ooh, um, I'm going to mute you while I talk and unmute yourself when you got a hot comment to interject. Okay. So that's the answer. Part one. Am I being serious? Yes. I'm entirely being serious. This is not a joke piece. Randall Thor as a character resonates with me specifically because of 
Um, my experience growing up as a trans person and the way that like Rand Althor's experience throughout the Wheel of Time happens to align with that. But no, I don't think Robert Jordan meant to do it. So with that out of the way, let's move on to part two. Young teen fears the taint. So that. Yes. Already I'm in. Part two, young teen fears the taint. And and this is why we're going to get into specifically why I think Randolph Thor like lines up really well with the trans feminine experience. And I can't speak for trans masculine experience because um, I'm not trans masculine and uh, trans men out there or trans masculines might find that they relate to Rand in completely different ways than I do. Um, so don't assume this captures all trans experiences. This is for trans women. But Look at what you have in Randolph Thor. You have a teenage boy or someone who is a Mab who's always lived as a teenage boy. And they find out over the course of the eye of the world as they're like entering more maturity and adulthood and they're leaving the childhood behind and starting to have the expectations of what it means to be a man thrust on them. They are not only dealing with social expectations of being a man they have this Sidene. Um, Rand has Sidene, which is like a masculine power coursing through him, and he doesn't want it. It's very important that he rejects it as much as he can because he knows Sidene, aka for the purposes of my definitely a stretch analysis of the story, masculinity is poisonous to him. And it's very powerful. Sidene can do many things. Many men out there, your various false dragons, actually embrace it and are okay with the poison because of the power it affords them. Rand, however, is terrified of the negative ramifications. And this, to me, aligns very closely with a concept in trans-feminine communities called testosterone poisoning. Now, I do not know what that is, and I am excited yeah. to learn about it. I've mm -hmm. never heard of testosterone poisoning. And this is why this is going to be specifically an essay from a trans feminine experience, because, of course, trans men don't have the same relationship to testosterone. But for trans women who go through a puberty, a, test a testosterone fueled puberty, where it does give you physical strength, size, and in some cases, you know, a powerful, booming, deep voice. And it gives you male privilege, which is incredibly strong and allows you to navigate the world in sort of the highest tier of the gender hierarchies. At the same time, it has all these negative impacts on you internally. Trans people start feeling dysphoria. They start hating the changes that they're undergoing, even if it's hard for them to explain why. Uh, it makes them... And it has all of these permanent effects um, on your body, which is what trans women refer to as testosterone poisoning. So like your skeletal structure that changes or your voice that is forever deepened, uh, that's testosterone poisoning. And I equate that with the taint having these permanent effects on Rand's sanity that you see even through to the end when you have Zen Rand and Nynaeve is like, well, let me check. And his brain is just like this pulsing light orb surrounded by these like toxic thorns. 
that's testosterone poisoning. And that is both the physical and emotional trauma of growing up in a testosterone-fueled body for someone who has um, gender dysphoria and prefers to exist in a feminine plane. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact that reading this as a young trans teen or queer teen who didn't understand myself, and I see this main character who's going through this experience of like, wow, I have access to the ex extremely powerful masculine magic, but I'm terrified of it and I hate what it's doing to me. Um, that just resonated really strongly with me. And now I want to move on to part three, Stone Rand performing masculinity. Stone Rand. Stone Rand, one of my least favorite Rands. Everyone hates Stone Rand. But what Stubborn. is... A lot of people, I think, have a hard time understanding Stone Rand or Steel Rand or Iron Rand or Quain DR Rand. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are you doing? You're a fucking idiot. Why are you doing this to yourself? It's obviously, like, not... Frustrating. It, it's really frustrating to watch. And it's, like, obviously not helpful. But every time I read The Wheel of Time, and I'm on my fifth reread now... And I watch Rand go through this transformation. I'm like, no, this, <laughs> I get it. Like the world has pushed an expectation onto Rand, the dragon reborn. He doesn't want it, but he is told he has to be this thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm equating that in this essay with the expectation of your social role as a man that is pushed onto young AMAB people. And Whereas the Dragon Reborn, of course, is a huge, monumental, existential responsibility of leading the world, saving the world, fighting the Dark One. And of course, the expectations put on a man in our society are different. They're so similar in the way that Rand interprets them. Men, yeah. boys don't cry. Classic. Men have to be strong. Men have to be stoic. Men have to be providers. Men have to be at the same time creators, but men can't be creative. Men have to occupy this very specific social role. And you're fed all of these expectations and a lot of them are contradictory and a lot of them are things you don't want but are told you have to do if you want to be a good member of society. And Randall Thor spends his whole, you know, early 20s, late teens to early 20s dealing with these expectations and trying to figure out, well, how do I do that? And he enters a mode that a lot of trans women, trans women enter, which is this very performative, exaggerated form of masculinity. As which, a reaction, sort of in the opposite direction? No, no. As an attempt to do what he's expected to do. Ah, okay. Oh, oh, you meant for trans women? Yes, for trans women. Yeah, so like trans women have, a lot of trans women have this like internal like draw towards certain feminine things and like that scares them. So they go full masculine, but also they're just trying to be the a good iteration of what they're expected to be. Mm -hmm. It's like not uncommon that pre-transition trans women are bodybuilders. And it's really not uncommon that pre-transition trans women, especially before HRT or just before acceptance, uh, describe their lives in this sort of as the sort of like emotional void, an emotional dead space where yeah. you can't feel emotion. And a lot of trans women attribute that like physiologically to the differences between testosterone and estrogen and how they impact your brain. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't understand the science or pathways well enough to say one thing or another, but I can say from my experience, 
that was true. And Mary Lou, you knew me pre-transition. Um, I did. But most of my teenagehood, young 20s, I was extremely socially anxious, withdrawn, super depressed. And I went through a lot of my life not really feeling much of anything. I was extremely stoic. I was extremely, I liked to think of myself as presenting this like calm exterior that would sometimes break down into like an absolute mental breakdown, anxiety loop overload. Uh, but when I read about Randolph Thor and like what he's learned to do with the void, I'm like, that is how I always thought of emotion. Like burn away all of your feelings. Your feelings are unnecessary. You feelings can't even- are unnecessary and unimportant. They're unhelpful, they're unhealthy. You can't even connect to them. No, what you want to exist in is this comforting, void, emotionless space that you create for yourself where the outside world can't hurt you. Mm -hmm. And you can't feel whatever pain it is that's trying to hurt you. Feelings are unhealthy. That Feelings is such an insane statement that I can totally see Stone Rand being like, absolutely, feelings are unhealthy. Right. And it is this performance. And yeah, and Stone Rand as he gets harder and harder and harder and harder. It is just to me like so equivalent to this like increasing attempt to perform masculinity. I have to be more masculine. I have to be more masculine. Because it's so, not working. Why am I not feeling it? You it's know, it's not working and it doesn't work. And we'll get to that and how it doesn't work. But a couple more points before that. Part four, gender expansiveness. Cleansing Sidene by embracing femininity. So this is a shorter point, but how is it that Rand stops his ultimate descent into insanity, into testosterone poisoning, poisoning the inevitable self-death of masculinity? He embraces Sidar. He reaches out to Nynaeve and says, I need you to impart your feminine magic. I need to accept the help of femininity and combine it with masculinity to cleanse the taint, to create a form of masculinity that is livable and non-toxic. And it's only through Sidene and Sidar working together that they can remove the Dark One's touch on Sidene. Mm -hmm. And... I think a lot of people who are on various steps of their trans journey, no matter where they end up, whether they end up embracing like a full binary, I'm a trans woman, or whether they exist in a more non-binary space, um, a lot of people do at least begin by experimenting with bringing bits of femininity into their masculine performance and painting nails, longer hair, ah. certain modes of dress, wearing makeup. That's one way to think about it. But also, there's a lot about femininity that is sort of the antithesis to Rand's flame and the void Queen DR hardness. Mm -hmm. Just in the way that embracing Sidar is discussed. You're not grasping control of the chaos. Grappling and riding it. No. You are opening yourself up to the light surrendering you are the riverbanks allowing it to flow through you you are surrendering and i think that as um as rand like realizes 
he needs to work with Nynaeve, he needs to work with Sidar, he needs to work with femininity. Um, that's like a really good step that a lot of trans people take where they're like dabbling in gender expansiveness and realizing they do need to bring some feminine softness into their life or they will simply go insane. Shatter. They will shatter. Part five. My father gave me this sword. This is Friends, a really daddy issues. This no, this is a really silly point. I just I, like I like I think that it's funny. Um, because the sword, a sword is such like a such a phallic symbol, right? Oh my god, yes. And Rand is obsessed with this sword that he got from his father. And it's like his inheritance. It's all he has left from his father once he leaves the two rivers. And it's like I I think a lot of people do do relate to that in my experience. It's like um it's it's a uh, obviously by phallic symbol I mean that the sword is a dick and Correct. that you get a you get your sword, you get your phallus from your daddy and it's like what you ultimately have in common with your father if you're a young amab person, right? Like your masculinity. And I remember uh like I had two brothers, three boys, and my dad um not through any ill will I love my dad. My dad is super accepting and wonderful. But my whole childhood, there was this like kinship specifically through masculinity where he would come up to us and be like, oh, my boys, my manly men. And like we were, you know, the boys. And uh, I feel like dads have different relationships with their sons than they do with their daughters. And it's through this idea of this bond through masculinity, through the phallus, through the sword that your father gave you, gave you. And my father gave me this sword. No, no, no. Don't take my sword. My father gave me the sword. I can't give up this sword because it's my connection to my father. Well, if I lose my sword, if I abandon my connection to my sword, then I no longer have my connection to my father. Yeah, I feel you, Rand, but it's okay. Let it go. It's okay, Rand. Let it go. It's um, just a sword. Part six. Zen, Rand. Acceptance of self. Zenrand, one of my favorite rands. Zenrand is, you know, an incredible rand. Zenrand is when he accepts who he is and he accepts all the parts of him. And this is definitely an incomplete metaphor here, but the acceptance of Luz Theron, of this other person that's been in his head that he's been trying to suppress, this, this voice in his head, suppress. No, 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 suppress. And finally, accept. That is a story that I and so many other trans and queer people can relate to of this form of self that exists somewhere deep down that we keep locked away, that keeps bubbling up and we lock it away and it bubbles up and we lock it away. And then it's not until we accept it as us, not as a separate personhood in our mind, but as part of the totality that makes us one cohesive whole, that we can start to be happy, that we can start to say walk in the light, exist and interact with the world and with others in full and healthy ways, not locked away in our void, not hardened into Quaindiar, but fully interacting. And I think that's what we see with Zenrand. It's not until he accepts all parts of himself that he can do that. And he gets a form of happiness. But Zenrand isn't the ultimate form of Rand. Mm -mm. No. Part seven. Body swapping. 
reality malleability. And this is the final part of my little essay. But what is the ending of this epic 14-book journey we go on with young Randolph Thor, where he is poisoned by masculine Sidene? He grapples with his social expectations of the role he needs to play for others and finally accepts himself. And he goes and fights the Dark One at Tarman Gaidon, not... Not in physical combat, not in this hyper masculine power off balefire v balefire or sword versus sword. No, no, the sword versus sword is reserved for the characters who are comfortably men. Gawain, Galad, Lan versus Demondred. There's room for sword versus sword, but it's not Rand's fight. No. Rand's fight is a grappling with the Dark One in just the most metaphysical way. Yeah, no bodies. No bodies. No physical space. No physical space. Only Rand's, Rand's fight with the Dark One, ultimately, the form it takes is coming to understand this constructedness of reality itself and our ability to change it as a result the pattern that rand has felt so locked into all along these expectations this terrifying sidene his own nature that he thought was static and that he was held within like a prison or like a stone or like a void Turns out he was wrong. Turns out Randolph Thor actually, once he enters the space with the Dark One where he's able to exist outside of the social fabric he's been a part of his whole life and come to understand it for what it is, that he understands its malleable nature. He understands that he can exist in the way he wants to within it. And that's not through forcibly removing the Dark One. That's not through the elimination of free will and forcing everyone to live in the light. That's through the ultimate understanding that what's important is allowing people to live freely and become the versions of themselves that they want to be. Through understanding, ultimately, the beauty in stepping outside of expectation and stepping outside of the roles forced on us. And Randolph Thor's ultimate victory is getting to live. The whole series of the Wheel of Time, Randolph Thor did not think he would see a day of his 30s. His blood on the steps of Shiol Ghul. That's his blood on the steps of Shiol Ghul. He thought he was going to die. He thought, he thought because of what he had been born, a man who could channel the dragon reborn no less, well, he would do his best. He would live as long as he could and satisfy all these expectations thrust on him for as long as he could. But he wasn't going to last very long. This was going to kill him. 
No, look at the last guy. Luz Theron Telemann went out in a blaze of mm -hmm. masculine glory, accepting too much Sidene for one human being, even the dragon, to hold. Right. And what does he end up as? A monument to a phallic symbol in the, uh, you know, mountain of dragon mouth. True. That's what happened to the last guy. Why would he expect anything different for himself? Right. Randolph Thor expected to die, expected to be killed by the masculine expectations and masculine energy coursing through him and masculine role he was expected to play. Like far too many young trans people I've talked to. I've talked to a de frankly depressing number of trans women, not a surprising number, but so many trans women I've talked to who are now transitioned and living happily as a more authentic version of themselves have said something along the lines of, oh yeah, I always thought I was going to kill myself. I didn't think I would live to see 20, definitely not 25. And transitioning saved my life. And that's what I see in Randolph Thor with this realization, this acceptance of himself through Tarman Gaidon, the realization that the pattern was malleable, that he could be a version of himself he wanted to be and not just who he was expected or needed to be by others, that Randall Thor is able to live. And specifically, Randall Thor lives by getting a new body. New body. And sure, Morden's body is a masculine body, I understand that. Robert Jordan wasn't writing intentionally a trans story. But isn't it remarkable that Randolph Thor, after fighting all of this masculinity his whole life, his salvation, his path to living, is by getting a new body. It's the abandonment of this previous body that he has been forced to exist in and getting to choose one for himself. And it's at this point at the very end of the series that Rand is finally happy because he's not the dragon reborn anymore. No one even knows he exists because happiness for Rand isn't in power and domination. It's not in violence and crushing his enemies. And it's not in being the salvation of mankind. No. no, he did that stuff because he had to. But happiness for Rand, Rand's happy ending, is just getting to be ignored. Getting to be a normal person in a body of his choosing and getting to pick his own future. And, of course, at the end when we see Rand light the pipe with his mind, not with Sidene, not by falling back on masculine power, and not even with Sidar, not by subjecting himself to social expectations of womanhood or femininity. Rand's power at the end is a complete awareness of social constructedness, <laughs> awareness that reality itself is malleable and made by interpretation thereof. There is and, a pattern, but it is flexible. Mm -hmm. And his final power and the manifestation of his ultimate happiness is his understanding of the malleability of reality and his understanding that he can manipulate it. Part 8. Conclusion. 
Trandall Thor. Queer demigod? Now, I have been talking the whole time about Randall Thor through the lens of my experience as a trans woman and how I see Rand as a perfect allegory for trans feminine experiences, or at least for mine. And I shouldn't speak for everyone here. But I know tons of other queer people who relate to Rand who have very different experiences from mine. And obviously, these books have resonated with so, so many cishet people, meaning straight non-trans people, if you're not up to date with the woke gender terminology. Randall Thor's, <laughs> I see Randall Thor's story as a trans feminine story because that's my story. And that's what I see in Randolph Thor. Randolph Thor's story ultimately is just a coming of age story. And that's what Robert Jordan set out to write. And it is a story, I think very much a story of grappling with expectations, of grappling with social roles, of grappling with fear of your own ability and your own power. And there are so many ways you could interpret that. And there are so many people who resonate with it clearly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is the one way to interpret Randolph Thor. I'm just saying this is why his story has been so meaningful to me. But everyone who reads the books is going to have a different Randolph Thor, point to different things that they relate to. And I think that's part of why this series is so good. Randolph Thor is an incredible character. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite character in all of fiction. And I know that that is true for so many others. And I'm just thankful to Robert Jordan for writing these books that have been so helpful and important to me since I started reading them when I was 14, that have always provided me an escape from my own reality and have helped me avoid my own flame and void and given me a small little pattern I could escape into when I needed one. 